to do a song, write a song that would be easy for everybody to understand. And that song made millions. Now, based on what we're talking about, how to love, can anybody guess what that song might be? Okay, you win. You win. I don't know what yet, but we'll figure something out. That's it. All you need is love. And it's actually quite a, it's, it's a catchy song. All you need is love. Forget it. That's terrible. Anyway, all you need is love. And here's our problem with the song. First of all, the sentiments are, are pretty good. All you need is love. But the problem is, is that we have such an immature understanding of what love is. It's, it's really non, it's a, almost a non-spiritual understanding. When you ask the natural mind, the, the, the natural man, let's call it that, to love the way God wants you to love, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible for you to love the way God calls you to love. We often talk about the fact that life is all about relationships at Cross Church. We tell you life is about relationships. And we say that the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We talk about that. We don't really know what it means. That is why it wasn't enough for God just to give us a sheet of paper and say, hey, memorize these verses and and on your way. He had to give us a whole Bible for us to learn what it means to love. Because by by nature, we are rather self-centered. And I know that nobody likes to really hear that, but that is a fact. The Bible declares that our heart is deceptive above all things. Our heart does not properly understand or does not properly interpret what's happening around us because of our false hearts. That's right. That's what the Bible says. Heart's deceptive above all things. We don't even know what's in our hearts. And oftentimes what we confuse for love is, in fact, just bad motives. What do I get out of it? You understand that. And so just to illustrate to you just how, how mixed up we are when it comes to love and, and what it means, I, I, I found some letters written by kids that I thought were really quite funny. So let me share the first one. And it says, Dear Dad, I'm so glad that me and Isaac are staying with you. Me and Isaac miss you. I hope you and Mom will get back together. But you and Mom won't. Because my mom does not like you. <laughs> That's got to be pretty confusing for a kid. Mom says you have to love your brother and be kind to people and don't fight. And dad's saying the same thing. But at the end of the day, the kids are going, hmm. Mom says to love one another and dad says love one another. But why don't they love each other? And that's the problem, folks. We live in a twisted world where human nature even though we know how important it is to love, the fact is, is we don't. And so even though the Beatles will tell you all you need is love, we need something more. We need the instruction and we need the guidance of God to teach us what it means to love. Look at this one. Um, Dear Miss Thornton, you're the best teacher in the whole world. I will never stop loving you in my whole life. I will never stop loving you, even when I'm a mother. 
Love Madison. Happy Easter, by the way. What's she saying here? Once you become a mother, you start hating your kids. Once you become a mother, it's hard to love. But she says, even when I'm a mother, I'm still going to love you. Way to go, Madison. But wow, how sad that at such a young age, she doesn't understand what love is. And here's my favorite. Dear mom, thank you so much for being my mom. If I had a different mom, I would punch her in the face and go find you. Love, Brooke. What's, what's Brooke thinking here? Brooke is thinking, the only way to truly love my mother is by hating everybody else. If I punch another woman in the face, then that'll prove how much I love my mom. Okay, so you know what? We laugh at this, we giggle at it because we see how absurd it is. That really is kind of what humor is. It's seeing the absurdities in life. But in these, in these little notes from these kids, we really see how the natural mind, how the natural human being understands love. And so what we need to do is we need to see what does the scripture say? What does it mean to love the way God loves? So what I want to do is I want to show you today how you kill the love in your life. And some of you have actually done that. You've killed the love in your life and you've in fact driven people away. I want to show you how to have the best marriage possible. I want to show you how you can get along with your kids and love your kids in such a way that they have no doubt in their mind that you love them, even if you're a mother. I want to show you how you can get along with your in-laws and how you can keep friends and how you can get new friends. In fact, I want to show you how you can build a great team at work and how you can get along with the people you work with. I'm going to show you how to love in the way that God has called us to love. Now, what we're doing over these five weeks leading up to Easter is we're looking at 1 John. We're looking at those five chapters. And those five chapters, among other things, are teaching us how to properly love one another, how to love each other the way the Bible instructs us to love each other. Fact is, we don't know really how to do that and we're not good at it in fact that's why there's so many family breakups and so many marriage breaks up and that's why there's so many people that quit their jobs because they can't stand their boss or why they're fired because the boss can't stand them you know how it goes it's why there's so much division on the planet john says this and if you do as I say in this letter, and by the way, 1 John is a letter. There's actually three letters that John wrote, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. If you do what I say in this letter, then you too will be what? Full of joy. Does anybody here want to be full of joy? Say amen. Amen. Somebody even raised their hand. Hallelujah. We're having a revival breakout. We're acting like Pentecostals. Do what I say in this letter, then you too will be full of joy. And so will we be. We're going to be full of joy, and you'll be full of joy. We said that the source, this is what we said last week, we said that the source of joy, the way you're going to have joy in your life, is by loving the way that God has taught you to love. It's by not hating. It's by forgiving. This is where love comes from. And so we're looking today at the very first step in loving. 
We said last week that joy is the fruit of love. And so today I'm going to show you how to do it. We're going to start today showing you what you need to do in order to love. And so here's what Paul says to the Ephesians. And Paul, Paul and John, they agree with one another. But I want you to see this. Paul says to the Ephesians, imitate God. Okay, so for a lot of people, they don't know that as a Christian, your job is to imitate God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do. Can I ask you a question? In everything that you do, are you imitating God? I know I'm not always imitating God in everything I do. I'm trying. And I think I'm getting better at it. But you'd have to ask Gloria and my kids. But I'm trying to imitate God in everything I do. Even when I drive. What would people say about you? Because we, when we become Christians, we like to tell everybody, hey, I'm a Christian. I just became a Christian. We're so excited about that. And that's good. The, the problem is, for so many of us, is that we don't actually do what God would do. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. So let me ask that question to you, and let, and let the Spirit of God speak to you and penetrate your heart this morning. Are you imitating God in everything you do and implied in that, in everything that comes out of your mouth? Remember, I'm, talk to, I'm, I'm teaching you about love. What comes out of your mouth? You swear at your partner? You swear at that guy that's driving the car ahead of you? You say, but pastor, that doesn't count because he can't hear me. <laughs> yeah, but God can. What's coming out of your mouth? Is it anger and bitterness, rancor, hatred? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are what? His dear children. Look, if you're in the family of God and you call God your father, then it goes without saying, you got to be like your father because that's what it means to be in the family. Paul goes on to say, live a life, what? Filled with love. Is your life filled with love? Or would people call you a hateful person? A person, people say your language is hateful. You put people down. You mock people. You're sarcastic. I hate sarcasm. Do you mock people? Do you put them down? Do you make fun of them? Do you make, are you telling crude jokes? Hurtful jokes? Hurtful things? Are you, are you gossiping? Live a life filled with love. This is what it means to be a Christian, people. Following the example of Christ. Now, could you see Jesus if he were here today and he could drive? I'm assuming he could drive. Could you see him swearing the cars that are cutting him off? You'd say, what kind of Jesus would that be? Well, hold on, folks. You're supposed to be imitating Jesus. So the the question that follows that is, what kind of a Christian are you? Imitate Jesus, following his example. And what did he do? He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. That is how 
God loves us. That's how Jesus loves us. And by the way, that is how you need to love the people in your life. Yeah, but Pastor Allen, you don't know my husband. If you knew my husband, well, then I would, I would, uh, you know, that wouldn't count. I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to be, I wouldn't have to follow that too carefully or too closely. Uh, that's where you're wrong. See, it's easy, Jesus says, it's easy to love people who love you back. It's easy to love people who are kind to you and considerate and loving and gentle and generous and puff you up and tell you how marvelous you are, how good looking you are, how sweet you are, what a beautiful voice you have. Hey, many of us are actually tricked by flattery, which is not love at all. It's manipulation. And there we go back to the problem with humanity. Our nature is twisted. And so what we need to do is we need to see what does God want us to do and how does God want us to live? And so this morning, what we're doing is we're going to take time to examine ourselves to see what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our hearts, what's coming out of our mouths. How are we living our lives? Now, the ancient Greek philosopher, Socrates, some of you may or may not have heard of him, but I'll just suffice it to say that anybody who does any kind of reading, anybody who's gone to university knows who Socrates is. Socrates says this, the unexamined life is not worth living. The Bible says exactly the same thing. You and I are called to examine our hearts. The psalmist says, search my heart, O Lord. See if there's anything in me that's wicked, that's not consistent with the biblical message. If we're going to imitate God and if we're going to love people the way that Jesus did, then it's going to be important that you and I take that step of properly doing some serious self-examination. People in your life know that you are a Christian. At least you tell people you're a Christian. Is it evident in how you live? Is it evident in what you say and what you do? So where do we begin then? If we're going to love the way that God loves, the way that Jesus... How how are we going to imitate Jesus? What does that look like? I said earlier that we've got some strange ideas of what love is, as evidenced by the kids in their letters. You know, one of the things that I'm just so fed up with, and I don't know if anybody else agrees with me on this, but I am so sick and tired of hearing the people of Hollywood tell us how to live our lives. I'm sick and tired of hearing their opinion on anything. I'm sick and tired of hearing them rise up and condemn sexual harassment, inappropriate behavior, all the while they're making movies that glorify it. Do you see the hypocrisy in this? Has anybody ever heard of Fifty Shades of Grey? I think everybody's heard of this. I hope nobody's seen those movies, and I certainly hope nobody's read those books, because that is right from the pit of hell. Hollywood is condemning sexual harassment, inappropriate behavior, and treating women badly. All the while, they're putting out, the, I think, the third in the trilogy for Valentine's Day. It's such a hypocrisy. But here's the problem, folks. This is the world. This is, this is the world's twisted understanding of truth and righteousness and justice and love. And you and I are called to be separated from the world and to love the way God loves and not the way that the world loves. 
you know that the church really predominated influence in our culture? Everybody, even if they weren't Christians, even if they didn't go to church, they were still holding to what we would call a Judeo-Christian value or Judeo-Christian principles. But not so anymore. Because all the people in Hollywood have told us that they're atheists. Not all, there's there's one or two that aren't. But they're all atheists. They don't believe in God. And the church should not dictate to us how we should live our lives. Because they're all experts, aren't they? They're all experts in morality. They're all experts in how to have a good marriage, right? They're all experts on what it means to truly love and to never cheat on your spouse. We're not going to start naming names. But I'm going to tell you, we have a big problem on our hands because we have a whole generation. In fact, not just this generation, but the last numbers of generations that have been influenced by Hollywood so that now we don't even know it. But our value system now is influenced by Hollywood rather than by the word of God. And when I say Hollywood, you know what I'm saying. We're talking about the media. We're talking about values that are handed down to us as though it were normal and just and good. But here's here's what John tells us in John chapter 2. He says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. I want us to explore that this morning because it's really critical to helping us understand how to properly love one another. Do not love the world, nor the things that the world offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. What does this mean? The world is going to tell you that you are the center of the universe. Did you know that? The world is going to tell you that you Deserve a break today. In case you didn't know it, that comes right out of McDonald's. McDonald's is smart. They are very smart. But it's not just McDonald's. Virtually all advertising somehow is going to appeal to your selfish nature and tell you exactly what you want to hear. They're going to tell you, you're the center of the universe. We exist for you. In fact, if you're in business, that just makes sense, doesn't it? We have to exist for the people that we serve. The problem with that is that it goes against what Scripture says. You are not the center of the universe. Who, my friends, is the center of the universe? Let me say it again in case you're still asleep. From a lack of it. Who is the center of the universe? Jesus God, that's right. That's, that's who's the center of the universe. The, but the world is giving us a different picture, a different message. And all of us sit here this morning and think, well, yeah, of course, that makes sense. I believe that. But the fact is, is how we live our lives tells a different story. You can tell me what you believe. You can tell me what you value. But the only way I really know what you believe and really know what you value is by what you do. For instance, I know today that you people value going to church because you're here. But don't look around and find out who's not here because I don't don't want you to don't gang up on anybody. 
The world is going to tell you you're the center of the universe. Listen to me, folks. If you want to know how to destroy love in your life, how to destroy your marriage, how to destroy your relationship with your kids, how to destroy your your relationship with the people you work with, believe the lie of Satan who says you are the center of the universe. We all know people at work who think they're the center of the universe, and how do we feel about them? You see them coming and you go the other way. We all live or have lived with people who think they are the center of the universe. And how's that working for you? You've had it up to here. You don't want any part of it anymore. You've got kids who have been fed a lie and told that they are brilliant. They're the smartest kids in the school. It's amazing. All these kids are so brilliant and none of them can read. But the teacher has to tell them that they're the most brilliant and the smartest. And when it comes time for field day, track and field, they all will win ribbons and they'll all win prizes and they'll all win trophies. Why? Because we have believed the lie of this world. And I'm going to tell you who's behind that lie. His name is Satan. Satan wants you to believe that you are the center of the universe. That you're the most important person in your house. You are the most important person in your school. You're the most important person in your circle of friends. You're the most important person at your work. If it weren't for you, the place would fall apart. I got news for you people. Satan believed that, and many others have. And lo and behold, nothing falls apart. Because God is still at the center of his universe. Hallelujah. You want to know how to love people? You want to know how to love the people in your life? Then you're going to have to take second place. No, you have to take third place. God's got to have first place, and the people in your life have to have second. Hey, you know what? If I were, if I were to do a little exercise today and say, you know, uh, basically we've got 100 people here today. We've, let's start ranking them. Let's, let's see who's at the top of the list, and let's see who's in the middle and the bottom. Let's see who's at the bottom of the list. Now, some of you think, well, you know, I wouldn't be at the top of the list, but I certainly wouldn't be at the bottom. But I'm sure nobody here this morning would think that unless, you know, you've got issues. But here's, here's how it is if you're a Christian. Here's, here's the way it is in the Christian realm. God is at the top of the list. You know who's next? All of you. Line number two is a long line because it's got everybody's name beside it. And guess who's in third place? Me. And when you compile your list, guess who's in third place? You are. This is what real Christianity is. We put God first, and then we put everybody else second, and we put ourselves last. Hey, does that not go against the thinking, the philosophy of our world, of our, of our culture? I got to look out for myself. I got to have a bit of me time. I've got to think of myself. I got to have me time, downtime. Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is not a biblical idea. Having rest is definitely a biblical idea. But this notion, this idea that I come before anybody else is absolutely not biblical. It's not what it means to be a Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you always put others first. I'm so glad that My parents didn't say to us when we were kids, you know what, it's time for some me time. 
you kids can make supper for the next week. So there we are at four years of age trying to cook a roast beef. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You could see how, how this, none of this makes any sense. Imagine my dad said, Alan, you know what? I'm going to have a holiday now. You go do plumbing for a couple months. You bring home the bacon. It's absolute nonsense. You can see how it's not even logical. So what we need to do, folks, is we need to find out what is it that God wants us to do and how is it that God wants us to live? Because the world has got a completely different message for you. The world will say you've got to look out for yourself. You've got to put yourself first. Now, does anybody remember Adam and Eve? Hello? Remember Adam and Eve? Yeah, if you've been reading your Bible, you've come across them already. You came across them in Genesis. And uh, i got to read to you a passage of Scripture from Genesis chapter 3. And some of you have heard me say this before, and I'm just going to just remind everybody. Genesis chapter 3 is like the combination lock or the, the key that unlocks our understanding and helps us understand who we are and why we are the way we are and why we do the things we do and why there's a breakdown between husband and wife and why there's a breakdown between or in the family. It's brilliant. You have to take time to meditate on it and read it. I have, over all these years, uh, I've come to understand that Genesis 3 really helps me understand myself. Let me read this. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest, the smartest, most cunning of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day, the snake asked the woman, Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, did you catch that? He's such a liar and a deceiver. Satan knows full well that God did not say, do not eat from any of the trees in the garden. But you see how he, how he words it. He wants to trick poor Eve. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from the, any of the trees in the garden? And Eve says, of course not. Of course we may eat... Uh, fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Can I just point out something? God didn't say he couldn't touch it. Listen to me, when you start messing with Satan, you start messing with the philosophies and the ideas of the world, and who's behind it, Satan himself, folks, you're not going to win. What, what Adam and Eve should have done, and by the way, where was that dumb Adam? He blames Eve all the time, but Adam, is sitting there with his thumb up his nose. What, what is he, what's he doing? The minute you start messing with and trying to adopt and adapt and to reason and try to find your way through the ideas of the world, you're going to get in trouble. And that's exactly what happens. You're no match for the philosophies and the ideas and the wisdom of this world. It's so-called wisdom. And Eve wasn't either. 
Certain, uh, the serpent says to Eve, you won't die. Can you hear Satan? You know in your heart, the spirit of God is on you hard and he's poking you and trying to get your attention and the angels are, are fluttering around your head and trying to get you distracted and away from the influence of Satan. And Satan says, you're not going to die. And the woman should have run away at this point. Because somebody was suggesting that they do something other than what God said to do. God said, don't touch the fruit. Did he say that? Don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit. Satan says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the Bible says, verse 6, to me the worst verse in the Bible, the woman was convinced. She believed the lie. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. She decided at that moment that she was going to love the things of this world. She was going to believe the lie of Satan. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate it too. I want you to see something here, folks, because it's so critical. If you and I are going to learn how to truly love our children, our spouse, the people in our lives. So we're going to love the way God calls us to love. And you're going to have to understand something. It begins with obeying God. Jesus said this. He says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you don't love God, then you will not obey his commands. You will be rebellious you will do the exact opposite to what god wants and that's precisely what john is saying here do not love this world or the things it offers you for when you love the world you do not have the love of the father in you and when you've gone down this road guess what you can't love the people in your life either because you now are following the ideas the philosophy of this world that says you are the center of the universe As long as you're in the center of the universe, you can't love the people in your life. In fact, you'll do quite the opposite. Adam and Eve chose to reject God, and you know what happens after that. Immediately, Adam starts accusing God. Why did you give me this crazy woman? You know, it's it's your fault, God, because you gave her to me, and it's her fault because she was too stupid to not listen to the devil. And and God spoke to Eve, and Eve said, God, it's your fault. You're the one that made that stupid serpent, and it's God's fault. It's a serpent's fault. You see what's happened now? We see the end of love in Genesis chapter 3. By verse 6, we see Love demolished. But thank God that God himself is love. And those of us who put our faith in God and those of us who want to please God and put our faith in him can have the love of God. And it can dwell in us and bear fruit in us 
in a way that we can never bear fruit on our own. You do not have the love of the Father in you if you love this world, if you believe its lies. Now, I want to show you this verse here. This is the next verse, 1 John 2, 16. And here's what he says. For the world, this is what the world offers you. This is the thinking, the ideas, the philosophy of our world. It's totally contrary to the law of love. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Now you show me a relationship that's broken down, and I'm going to show you this. This will be evident. Some part of this verse will be evident in the breakdown of that relationship. You see why it's so critical then? If we're going to truly love others that we do it God's way, we have to obey him and do what he says. If we're going to have the love of God in us. By the way, when I look at this, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and our possessions. I mean, I automatically, my mind races to, to Washington, to Ottawa, to Hollywood. Politicians, not all of them, some of them are great people. Actors, most of them. They have a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything they see, a pride in their achievements and possessions. Did anybody see the Oscars? One person didn't. Hey, you know what? It's, it's on the decline. They said 16% less this year than last year. It's just on the decline. Because I think everybody sees through the garbage that is Hollywood. They're sick and tired of this philosophy of emptiness. Oh, it's kind of fun to watch these stars for an hour or two. But the fact of the matter is, it's bankrupt. The world and all that it offers is bankrupt. And by the way, in case you didn't see it, what John describes here is what I just read to you from Genesis 3, verse 6. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful, a craving for physical pleasure. And its fruit looked delicious, a craving for everything we see. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her, a pride in our possessions and possessions. Do you see that? If you and I are going to love the way God has called us to love, then you and I are going to have to reject the ideas and the philosophies of this world. This is why God says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you're going to love your wife and if you're going to love the people in your life, you're going to have to learn what it means to reject this world and follow the instructions of our God. You know, it just amazes me that people from Hollywood would stand up and, and think that they could teach us anything about what's right and good and just. Do you know that in 2016, Americans spent $16 billion on cosmetic surgery? A craving for everything we see, physical pleasure, pride, $16 billion. Folks, that's bigger than the GDP of many poor nations. Can you imagine what $16 billion would do for Burundi? There would be no more orphans. 
There would be no more orphans in Burundi or Rwanda or Tanzania or Kenya and probably most of Africa. If we were given $16 billion to care for the poor and the needy. But you see, listen to me. The world has a different standard than the standard that we read of in Scripture. God is a God of love, and he's called us to love as he loves. To forgo the cravings and the pride that tax us all. (laughs) Do you know that statistics for divorce is about 50% across the board? Failure rate. Except in Hollywood, it's 80%. These are the people who are teaching us how to be good and how to be moral, how to be upright. It's time, folks, for you and I to start loving the way God has called us to love. And that's by forgetting about ourselves and putting others first. Let me just share this with you in closing. Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite authors and speakers, he, uh, he wrote a book called Jesus Talks with Oscar Wilde on the pursuit of pleasure. Oscar Wilde shows up in the late 1800s. And uh, some of you may have read some of his books. He didn't just write books, but he's known for his homosexual dalliances with with young boys. And at first he, uh, at first he, you know, he wanted to fight it and tried to declare that it was his right and so on and so forth. But after he had been charged and actually put into jail, he got, it, he got him thinking. And Ravi Zacharias, who has studied some of, or probably all of Oscar Wilde's writings, he, he quotes Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde is speaking about homosex, his homosexuality, and he looks at one of his so-called lovers, And he asks his lover, another man, he says, in loving one of those boys, did you ever love any one of them for themselves? In other words, in having sex with those boys, did you actually care about them? Was it because you loved them? And he pauses, his friend pauses and says, No, I never did. In other words, I didn't care. In other words, it was all about me. And Oscar Wilde says, neither did I. I didn't care either. Folks, I want you to see something this morning. Without the scripture to teach us and to inform us what real love is, our understanding of love is very twisted. The fact that Oscar Wilde would use the word love to describe his sexual encounter with a boy. And at the same time, saying he never cared about that kid tells you everything you need to know. Now, this may be an extreme example, but I'm going to tell you. When it comes to human nature, when it comes to who we really are, we are self-centered and our motives are twisted. And for that reason, we need Jesus Christ to inform us and to teach us what it means to really love. And Jesus shows us what real love is. We call it a divine love. 
And maybe you've heard the term, we call it agape love. That's a supernatural divine love. It's unconditional. That absolutely 100% loves by living for the other person. You want to gain friends? Start loving people like that. And you will attract them like a magnet. You want to fix your marriage? Start loving your wife unconditionally. You want to... You want to fix your relationship with your kids? Start loving them without condition. And even when they reject you, you love them anyway. There's no footnote in my Bible that says love people, but only if they love you back. No. In fact, what it says, we love God because he first loved us. We love each other because God first loved us. God set for us an example how to love. So I want you to stop because right now, here's what I know. The Holy Spirit is working in you and you are thinking of people in your life right now that you're having a hard time loving, aren't you? And guess what? God wants you to go home and love that person. Now, I didn't say it was going to be easy. But you need to be like God. You need to be God-like. You need to go and love the people in your life the way God loves them. And how does God love them? He died for them. He laid down his life. Would you stand with me, please? God, you have shown us the first step in real love. In this letter, 1 John, we've discovered that if we're going to get our joy back, if we're going to be happy again, we're going to we're going to get the, the thrill of life once again, the joy de vie, then we know that it's going to have to come through loving the way you've called us to love. God, we have, for too long now, we have believed the lies of this world that says it's all about me. God, help us to see today we are not the center of this universe. You are. And you've called us, God, to love the way you love making sacrifices and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and serving and serving and serving and serving. Forgive us, God, for being self-centered. Forgive us, God, we pray, for putting ourselves first. For we know when we do that, that's the end of love. God, let love flourish in our families, in our marriages, in our church. And we'll give you the praise and the thanks in Jesus' name. Everyone said it with me. Tell the person.